Welcome to Moments, a new mini-series which reflects the best moments that we've had on the Jimmy's Jobs of the Future podcast, highlighting the amazing experiences of British entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Our guest today is Pip Jameson, the founder of The Dots. Now, to let you in on a little secret, we haven't always been called Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. Originally, we were going to be called Careers Council. This was on the basis that careers advice was a bit outdated and actually what people needed more was almost a personal counsel to give them thoughts on what they should do with their career. Now, like any aspiring entrepreneur, when I started out with all this excitement, I went and spoke to a few people to see what they thought of my idea and my products and my launch plans. And one of those first people that I went to see was Pip Jamieson. And she turned around to me and said, I think this is a brilliant idea brilliant moment that you're looking to do it but it is a terrible name in fact the name is so forgettable that you only mentioned it three minutes ago and I can't tell you what it is so I went back to the drawing boards on the name and the branding idea and ironically I actually used somebody from the dots to help with the artwork for this podcast it really is one of my favourite episodes of Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. And in fact, it's probably one of the ones that I recommend most to people to listen to, to understand about the future of work and the future of our economy. Because what Pip is trying to do at The Dots, I think is really interesting. She's essentially trying to build a platform for what she terms to be the no-collar worker. Now, you may not be familiar with the no-collar worker, but it's essentially the new technology and creative class. And it almost comes from the idea of blue-collar workers and white-collar workers that we are more used to. Anyway, I really hope you enjoy this latest Jimmy's Jobs of the Future moment. When you think about jobs of the future in three to five years' time, you're one of the leading entrepreneurs in the UK in terms of the future of work. Where do you see the growth areas for jobs of the future? Yeah, so I think one tech, but I think the most important thing with tech is one, to recognise that you don't have to code to be and work in tech. Secondly, I think you can't be a code by rule engineer anymore. Like the trend we're seeing with engineer roles that are going up onto the dots is they're looking for creative thinkers, collaborative thinkers. So creativity as a skill set in its broadest sense of the word is an innate human thing that is actually one of the hardest things for us to automate. That creative way, that creative way of thinking Machines can't do that yet and won't be able to do it until quantum robotics. So it's very much thinking about tech is definitely there, but you have to have creative skill sets to thrive these days in tech. The other thing that we're I'm kind of really excited about is the kind of more fluidity that is happening in the market. And this can scare people. And I mean, these days, it's an advantage to be a slashy. Right. We don't know what the future is going to bring. We don't know which. What what does slashy mean? Slashy. (laughs) So slashy means like having multiple skills to your bow or multiple kind of career paths to your bow. So you could call it a multi-hyphen career or a slashy based career or really in the old days, everyone was like, you become a specialist and you're that specialist in one thing. But the worrying thing about that 
when you look to the future is that one thing could be automated. And actually, there's probably quite a high chance that one thing could be automated. So these days, what we're seeing is the companies we work with are looking for people who are more multi-skills, whether you call that T-shaped people, where they have like one deep knowledge and a, and a multi-skill up the top. And the advantage for that is say you are in a career path that is automated, you can then pivot into other career paths. And so it makes you more uh, I guess, immune to the automation that's coming. So I think, you know, those old school career advisors that people got, which is like, let's be especially, you have to choose something to do. Don't worry if you love lo- loads of things, explore those multi things. And I think the other trend is while freelancing is just a terrible thing to be doing right now, um, because you know, the challenge companies are having is they're trying to retain their current workforce and freelancers were the first to be let go. When I look to the future and the companies we work with, they are going to want to, or they are wanting to adopt a more kind of agile, flexible way of work. So I see freelancing in the long term booming as companies go, right, the burden of a massive full-time workforce is actually really problematic for us. So they look for more flexible ways of having team members. And particularly the growth of the side hustle is, is so important, right? Now, let's say if you're a techie or a creative person, what's the one thing that you could do to understand a bit more about the other kind of mindset? So if you're a creative person, what tech could you upskill on? And if you're a techie person, what creative skill could you up on? And these could just be books or articles or anything, really. What's really important is firstly that both need each other. Mm. So, I mean, General Assembly do amazing courses in terms of upskilling on digital skills. So that's whether learning to code or doing digital marketing or anything digital related. Another trend we're seeing is skill swap, which I love on the dots where people are saying, hey, I'm an engineer. But I'm looking to learn a bit more about UX design. So advice I give to people is like, what is your core skill and what are you interested in learning? And then it's worth just posting that and saying, okay, my core skill is coding, but Mm -hmm. I want to learn about branding or copywriting and start kind of coming together and actually teaching each other and learning from each other. And I think that's the whole kind of difference between us and LinkedIn. It's about collaboration as opposed to individualism. So LinkedIn is all about this is my individual persona and I'm this perfect individual person. But actually, everything we do is a collaboration. If you're starting a business or a site office, well, you need business advice. Like I've, I've needed so much business advice. I was having growing this business. So that's in essence why we exist is to try and connect the dots between loads of different disciplines to make things actually come to life. And that's why I get really excited when I see our community going, okay, we're going to launch our side hustle on the dots. And actually that side hustle is now thriving. We're going to change this into a whole business and the whole way they can get advice and support and find other people to collaborate with to make that idea happen. I mentioned this before, but I found you know, people to help with this podcast, the artwork and so on. And so it really is sort of mutually beneficial. It's almost that kind of reverse mentoring that we're seeing quite a bit of. Where did you go in the early days for kind of mentor inspiration? Yeah, okay. In the early days, I was desperate to have like female tech mentors, which is really hard. Um, So to put it into context, you know, I'm a sole female founder. Only 9% of angel funding, which is like that first round, goes to female entrepreneurs um, at my level who've raised like 5 million or above. It's only 2.3%. So there just aren't that many around. So I was sending like these emails to, you know, Martha Lane Fox, who is, you know, the co-founder of um, 
lastminute.com and Sherry Kutu and go, oh, really, you know, I'm a female entrepreneur. I'd love you to be my mentor. And I got absolutely nothing back. And I was like, oh my God, how rude. Like I'm a female founder. You should be supporting. And then suddenly what I realized is I get about 60 emails a week now from founders wanting my support. And it's just physically impossible for me to support everyone. And the problem is, is there's just so few women at the top. So I changed tact and I went, right, I'm going to go after the best, best founders or tech people in tech I know who are men who have daughters. And then everything changed. And then suddenly I was kind of punching way above my weight in terms of the mentors I was getting. So amazing people like Ben Grohl, who was a partner at Atomico and was a part of the original um, growth team at Facebook, who was suddenly wanting to see positive change in the industry and supporting me. So I now have like what I call probably a portfolio of mentors who advise on everything from raising investment to branding and design to tech to growth to anything I need. And I sort of draw on them, but they're primarily male, unfortunately. Brilliant. That's such an inspiring kind of way to think about it is that you don't just need an individual mentor, you need sort of a portfolio of people to help advise on different things. So we're coming to our sort of final section. Can you think of a time when you tried something that just completely failed and you just thought we're not doing that again, but you were glad about it because you learned from the experience? Oh my gosh. I'd say all the time. <laughs> I mean, the, it's the journey of entrepreneurs, like it is a completely endless roller coaster ride. I mean, we're having to learn all the time. I mean, the reality is every great tech product in history is, you know, 95% failure and 5% success. All we do to build our product is test things and most of them fail. And it, when you go to the dots, everything you see there is the things that have succeeded. I mean, there's been massive clangers. I'm, I'm very dyslexic. So I actually have had to put on my email signature, uh, delightfully dyslexic excuse typos, because I've just sent some horrific clangers in terms of emails. Full fact for anyone who's listening on, on this right now is 35% of entrepreneurs are dyslexic and 40% of self-made millionaires. So uh, Anita Broderick, Joe Malone. Holly Tucker, Steve Jobs was dyslexic and autistic. So congratulations, it's a superpower. <laughs> but I've had disasters. So actually one of them was back when I was working for the government. I used to do economic reports for David Blunkett, um, who uh, is an amazing politician. He's also blind. So those reports used to go up to the Braillist and then on to David. And I was working on an algorithm basically measuring drug harm. Uh, in the country. And I wrote, oh, we need to eradicate all dr problematic drug users in this report. And I misspelled eradicate and I spelt it irradiate. <laughs> I think the learning from all of that is I'm never afraid to say sorry. Uh, is, a, is a brilliant way of putting it. And yeah, so thank you so much for that. And we look forward to chatting again soon.